Well, I'm looking forward to seeing people back in their routine place. People are normally regular. And you always expect them, take them for granted, and then when they're gone, you miss them. Mm. We're going to go to the book of Psalms tonight. We have deviated from Revelation. Uh, quite a contrast. We're going to go to Psalms chapter 107. Uh, Nathan's family has been reading that in the mornings. And I was reading it with them, and I thought, you know, this is a good psalm to spend time in. Because in this psalm, it has some of the key elements of the book of Psalms itself, some key themes. And in this one, we have another key theme. So this would be a good one to go through. Uh, psalm 107. The book of Psalms is really good. It's just hard to go through because there's so many good verses. And if we go verse by verse, then we might be in it for a very, very long time. We're in over 28 weeks for First John, and it's a short book. Imagine how long it takes to go through the book of Psalms. We're not going to even try. People already fall asleep. All right, 107, Psalm 107, verse number 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And gather them out of the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Now, what does God need? Is there anything God needs? No. Who has needs? People have needs. People are dependent. We're not independent. Uh, we are the ones that have need. We have need of basic things just to live. We have need of, of course, how long can you live without water? Carmen, I hope that you have not been retired so long that you forgot some of your medical knowledge. How long can a person live without water? About. Not exactly, but about. How many days? How many weeks? One day is enough. Can you live without water? How, how long before you must have water or you die? How many days? Okay. How much time, how much air do you need to live? How long can you go without air, in other words? Try to hold your breath. No, oh, it's all going to be different, isn't it? But try to hold your breath and actually if you had something to muzzle you, you know how you tell people, hold your breath, they do this. And they count five minutes. Wait a minute, you're breathing through your nose. Hold your nose. And you try that. How long will it take you before you go, oh. better yet, go into the water, stick your face in water, and try to stay as long as you can without coming up for a breath of air. You need air. You need water. You need food. You need certain things to just be sustained this life. You need sunlight. You know that people in the wintertime in the mainland and other parts of the world where it gets very cold, they feel a little bit depressed in the wintertime because they don't get any sunshine, no vitamin D. And what about what about needing other things like sleep? Everybody needs to get some sleep. A long time ago, in local radio stations, they had these guys named Jay Akwe Kupuli, Ron Jacobs. These are, these are people that tried to have these promotions for the station, and they would stay up on a platform and they would go without sleep for days and days and days and just broadcast from their dad bathroom breaks, but they, they had to stay up there. And they did it for like so many days without sleep. Now, here's what happened to them. Their bodies broke down. They got sick, but they did break records, but their bodies broke down. We need basic things just to live. Now, what does God need? 
God doesn't need anything like we need as humans because he is above the creation. He is spiritual, he is eternal, and he does not need anything. And so, yet in verse number one, it says, give thanks unto the Lord. Now, we give thanks to God. God doesn't need anything, but he likes to receive thanks. Give thanks unto the Lord. Now, when we talk about giving thanks unto the Lord, uh, we don't give thanks to a generic thing. Sometimes you hear people say who are non-Christians, thank, finish the line. They say, thank something. What do people say who don't know the Lord when they are thankful? They averted an accident, near death, or something good happened to them, and it was very, very strenuous, and yet if something came about that was good, they say, thank. What do they say? Thank goodness. Well, what is thank? What is goodness? Or they'll say thank. Now you gotta have something on your mind. They'll say thank goodness or thank your lucky stars. What's a lucky star? I don't know what a lucky star is. I know what lucky charms are. It's a cereal with marshmallow stars in it. Pretty good. When I was a kid. Thank. Goodness, thank you, lucky stars, or thank heaven. Okay, well, they didn't say thank God, but they said they're getting closer. Thank from thanking your lucky stars, thanking uh, goodness, and now thank heaven. Well, you know, the Bible says, David, thank God. Give thanks unto the Lord. He thanked God for his blessings and his uh, good things that happened to him. So it's very important to know that in the Psalms, God is always acknowledged and God is always recognized and God is given a credit for anything that is uh, beneficial to man, especially to the writers of the Psalms. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Now he gives you two reasons why he gives thanks unto God. Look at verse number one. Two reasons why he thanks God. Give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. Okay, so David thanked God for one reason that he, in his nature, is good. Now, the opposite of good is evil or bad. Uh, we would say, when you talk about someone being good, we would say that person is benevolent. Benevolent. That person reaches out, um, is gracious, is kind-hearted, wishes goodwill on others. That person is very benevolent, and that person reaches out and gives and helps other people. What is the opposite of benevolent? opposite of benevolent yes and that would be described in the word malevolent malevolent and so that's the wish ill cause pain for the pleasure of it and you get the word malicious from malevolent in other words the opposite of benevolent is malevolence and malevolence <laughs> is a reference to someone who is malicious now who is really malicious who really wants to hurt people who really wants to destroy people what does the Bible, what did Jesus say about that one person who has come to, to rob, kill, and destroy? The devil. Now, the opposite of, opposite of the devil is, of course, the Lord. And he is benevolent. He is gracious. He brings rain and sunshine on everyone. He gives us air to breathe. He, he, he helps us to function in this world. We, not, we might be heathen, and he still is gracious to the heathen. You could have someone who is very ungodly, and yet God is gracious to that ungodly person because he is benevolent. 
And so David thanks God because he is good. He is good. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. It is a blessing to remember that our theology is about a God who is good. Have you studied the Hindu gods? All 30 million of them? Have you studied the pagan gods? Have you noticed that a lot of these pagan gods have mean faces? They have scowls on their faces. They look like this. You ever see um, these Pacific Islanders? Who are they that have all the paint and they have this stick up their tongue and have this mean face? The Maoris? Well, you've never seen a depiction of God as mean. You've never seen a depiction of God in art or even if someone made something about God, their concept of God, if they ever did, uh, of course, might be turning to idolatry, but they never have depicted God as being cruel or mean. But the pagan gods, the heathen gods, they're all portrayed as mean. You better watch your step. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. The God of agriculture is going to bring a curse upon you. No rain. You're going to have no crops for this next five years because you offended me. This is the depiction of a God that is not real. But the depiction of God, the, the reason David thanks God is because God is good. And because he is good, he does good things. Because he is good, he blesses everyone in, in general ways. And he blesses his children in specific ways. And so uh, malevolence, maliciousness, Martin Luther wrote, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. That's a nice verse a truth of us about what the devil's nature is cruel cruel hate doth seek to work us woe and many times when things go bad in life you could say the devil is behind that many times the flesh is just behind it but there are many crimes and wicked things that go on in this life is because of the devil and sometimes we forget that a lot of good things in life happen or bad things didn't happen because God is good and he is beneficial and he blesses and he is benevolent. And so uh, we thank, David thanked the person of God himself. Um, Proverbs 23, 26 tells us this. Give, my son, give me thine heart. Not because he needs a heart, because God does not need anything. But he wants us to give him thanks. We give him our heart. That's to say he wants our total devotion. And that's what that's about. He doesn't need anything. He exists without us. If we never give him thanks, he still is going to be God. And so the Christian is better off if he can find it in him to give thanks unto God. And so the first reason he thanks God is because he is good. He's benevolent. The second reason is because, because he is good. He thanks him for his mercy. It all kind of goes together. Because God is good, he is merciful. Because God is good, He is benevolent. And because He is good, He is very, very, we would emphasize, very, very merciful. Luke 6, 36 says, Be therefore merciful, for your, as your Father also is merciful. Once again, there is no depiction of the God of the Bible as being a mean God. 
The closest you find is when Abraham offered up his son Isaac for a sacrifice. There are etchings of Abraham raising his knife to kill his son, and then the angels there in the background about to stop him. But that would not be really cruelty at all. It's just how people take that. But uh, David thanks God for his mercy because God is good. He's merciful. It kind of makes sense. Look at verses 2 and 3. David begins the psalm by giving thanks to God, the person of God, and for two reasons, because he is good and because he is mercy, he is merciful, he is mercy and just forever. Look at verse number two. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gather them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. And so in these verses, we have David praising God. He is praising God because he has done something good for his people. He is praising him for what he has done. He is praising him for what he has done. Now, uh, a good God, remember, does good things. And historically, historically, in these verses, Babylon had taken captive Jews from Israel for now 70 years. But God worked, and so now they have gone back home. And the Babylonian king says, bye-bye, go back home. And now they go back home to Israel, and they re-establish the temple they lay the foundation and they rebuild the temple, reinstitute sacrifices, they reinstitute musical services that David set up earlier, and then you have them beginning to worship God again. And so they're back home by a miracle. And as they stood there looking at the temple foundation being laid or not being laid, and they look at the temple being rebuilt, they just stand there in awe and they thank God for the great things he hath done. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Of course, you say so with your mouth, and you say so with how you live, and you say so by just saying out loud what God has done, and you praise Him and give Him glory for that. And so God is good, and the Lord is gracious. In 1 Peter chapter 2, He is gracious. Now, He thanked Him for His mercy, thanked Him for being good, thanked Him for what great things He has done. Now, look at verses 4 through 32. Verses 4 through 32 is a long stretch of verses. And in this long section, it's peppered with a repetitious phrase. Look at verse number 8. This long section has a repetition to it. Verse number 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of, the, of men. Look at verse 15. Oh, that men would praise, looks like the same verse, doesn't it? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now, we'll go to verse 21 and guess, guess again what you will see. you never guess what you see in verse 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Well, if we find another reference about praising the Lord. It might be word for word again. Look at verse number 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now let's see the elements here. Look at verse 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Men would be anybody besides those who are believers. If a farmer who is an unbeliever would just thank God for the rain, uh, then that might be a good thing. The Lord might continue to bless them, but even if it did, he still gets some rain, perhaps. 
and uh, men should thank and acknowledge God for that, for his goodness and for his wonderful works. Well, everyone could say that the Lord did this and so on, and that would be some wonderful works that he has done in someone's life uh, to the church. And again, there would be a lot of folks, a lot of people call it good luck, whereas it just be, could just be the, the mercy and goodness of God and his wonderful works toward them. You know, there's a lot of people that have a lot of skill and ability, a lot of talent that you and I could never come close to. And you just wonder, how is it that they are so talented? Now, I don't like opera, but I do have respect for people who can train for years and they go up there and put on this makeup and this costuming and then sing, you know, whatever they sing with a tenor voice or a baritone or whatever they do. And it's got, it doesn't appeal to me, but anyone who can sing, wow. Anyone who can play an instrument and sing double wild. Anyone who can play the piano like uh, Horowitz or others, they just play and they can make humor. And they just, it's so natural to them, but it didn't come naturally. They had to work very hard. I'll bet you that when they were young, they, their parents thought that that child of theirs had some potential and then got a teacher, got several teachers as they matured more and went from beginner level to really, really high and involved in complicated levels. And pretty soon this person got a degree or in, in the piano, whatever the instrument is, and then they, are, they can play without even thinking about it. They're just really good. How do you think they got the aptitude to pick up these things? Uh, smart people, not all smart people can play an instrument or can sing. Other people can. And so you would have to say that God is the one who gave them that innate ability in them when they were born to, to, to lean in this direction and to sing or perform, even athletics. What would the purpose be for everyone having gifts and abilities? It is to praise the Lord. It is to give glory to Him. It is to thank Him for it. I do appreciate athletes who thank God for their success or for their abilities. A lot of them are not white people, they're black people. A lot of them who are raised in the, in the South, uh, they seem to always are, be the ones that um, have a consciousness of God in their life and how God has blessed them and given them this ability to perform on the field. I will remember, and I will not forget really, um, one of the great running backs of the Detroit Lions, he's a short guy from Wichita, Falls, Texas. And he was uh, in college, he got drafted by the Detroit Lions and became a really great, you could never tackle him because he would stop on a dime and shift here and there and shift gears. And when he began to take off, he'd be so fast you couldn't tackle him. He also had the strength to run over linebackers and knock down defensive backs. Very unique guy. And uh, he retired at the height of his career. Uh, I believe he's in the Hall of Fame. But this young football player, when he got drafted um, and got a bonus, he did something very rare, which was a very good thing though, but it was very rare among modern athletes. He gave a tithe to his church in Wichita Falls. What was he doing that for? He was saying, I'm acknowledging that God gave me the ability to perform as a football player. He says, my speed, my skills, my physical being, it's all because God made me this way. And he says, in essence, I'll make my life, I'll make my skills, my abilities to honor God in the field. He was not really preachy or outgoing or pushing down. He was just a decent man 
who recognized that God gave him the abilities. And so in the book of Psalms, in chapter 107, you find David thanking God for the great things he's done for him. I think it'd be a good and healthy thing for a church to find things to thank God for. I think it's good and healthy for a church and his people, his members, to find something to thank God for in their lives and to testify that God has been good to them. I think it's good that uh, people speak up every once in a while when there's a testimonial time. Anybody got a testimony? It's always encouraging to hear someone say, well, I thank God for, and you list or you say something that's done for recently. But I think it's a, it's a, it's not a good thing to always be quiet because let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I think it's healthy and encouraging for people to hear that God is doing something in someone's life. But if you're going to be quiet all the time and not say anything, people might think, well, God hadn't done anything for you. But he has. And so you need to get out of your shell, get out of your quietness, get out of your uh, shyness, I would say, and just take the opportunity to just say something very sincere about what God has done for you. That'll encourage some people to hear it. That's how that plays out. But nonetheless, God would appreciate it, I believe, if you give thanks to him. All right? So he thanked him for his mercy, thanked him for goodness, thanked him for his uh, wonderful works he's done. So four times in these verses, from verses number 4 to 32, you have the same words four times. It is on purpose. It is on purpose. And so... The setting of these verses in verses 4 to 32 is God is praised. He comes out of desperate situations. In every one of these four cases, there was something preceding it, and God came through in a desperate situation. We'll take time to look at some of them here. Now, uh, the writer of this psalm has painted word pictures. He has described action, activity, circumstances with the words he uses and humanized the nation like a man. He has the nation of Israel like a man in four examples and in four instances, and it is for us to see how personal it was and how individual this all is. The nation of Israel, it's about one entity, one body, the nation of Israel, but now the writer makes it very personal by making it as if something happened to one man. So, for example, verse number nine. Verse number nine. Here's the first picture. After he says in verse number eight, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse nine. For he satisfied the longing soul and filled the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Now, as he, I'm skipping ahead into the second one, but the first one begins in verse number Verse number four, verses four through eight is the first one. I don't want to get ahead of this, but it says, verse number four, Israel is like a man. They, Israel, they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in, hunger and thirsty, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. And then verse 8, Oh, the men would praise the Lord. Now the first the first four verses here, four, verses 4, 5, 6, 7, this is Israel like a man who is lost in the desert. That is the scenario. Israel was like a man lost in the desert. Israel was lost in the desert for 40 years. 
And so in this day, he is like, God thinks it's like a man lost in the desert, which would be a real tragic experience for man to go through. Lost in the desert, lost in the wilderness, no map, no cell phone, no fast foods around, no convenience stores, no 7-Elevens, no vending machines. Now, if you ever go in the mainland and drive on the freeways, which is a real fun thing to do because of the speed, you see billboards all over the place and saying 25 miles, exit 10, restaurants, hotels, different things that are attractions or necessities along this exit. So if you want to get the Burger King, if you sign Burger King, exit 10, next exit, you take exit 10 because that's what you want, Burger King. There's nothing like that in the wilderness. There's no convenience stores. There's no moose bees around. There's nothing like that. There is no one to give directions. They're wandering in the wilderness and no one to say, are you lost? Do you need water? You look like you need water. Here, let me give you some water. I have old truck of water. Nothing like that in the wilderness for Israel. Israel like a man lost and wandering in the wilderness and in the desert. So you have trouble, desperation, and finally they cry for help. And then the Lord steps in and helps them. And that's, that's what you find. They were hungry and thirsty, verse 5. Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord, and he delivered them, verse number 6. And that's why following that is, Oh, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Oh, that Israel would be thankful for what God has done for them. Oh, that they would be grateful. Oh, that they would express their gratitude and praise to God for what he has done for them. Oh, they're so selfish. Oh, they're so selfish. Oh, they're so... They are so not mindful of God who helped them. But he says, oh, that men would praise the Lord. All right. Now, here's another thing. In verse number eight, uh, verse number nine, uh, he satisfies verse number 10. Here's another image of Israel like a man. Verses 10 through 16. Look at verse 10. Such, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. What would that be describing? What is the setting? What is the situation of this man who is bound in iron and affliction and in darkness and the shadow of death? There's two things happening here in verse number 10. There's a man, Israel's like a man who is in chains in prison. Not only is he in chains in prison, he is in the shadow of death. What will we call that in modern times? He's in prison, he's chained, he's incarcerated, he's locked up, can't escape, he's waiting for something, he's in the shadow of death. What is this called? What could this be called? Solitary confinement. Solitary confinement? What else could it be? Death row. Death row, in the shadow of death. Israel's like a man who is incarcerated, chained up, waiting for death. What a desperate situation to be in. And in that desperate situation, look at verse number 10. Such as sit in darkness in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction iron, verse 11, because, here's the reason why this person or Israel is in that situation, because they rebelled against the word of the Lord, of God, and contemned the counsel of the Most High. They rejected God's truth. Verse 12, therefore, Consequence, therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Desperate situation number two. Desperate situation. Verse 13, led them to do this. Then, 
Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Okay, they've been brought down to their knees, been brought down to cry uncle, been brought down to say, oh God, we are sorry. The Lord is merciful, the Lord is good, remember? And he, he responded, he saved them out of their distresses. Verse 14, he brought them out of darkness and the shell of death. Uh, excuse me, but um, water needs to see you. What for? I'm ready to die. I don't want to die. What for? Well, just follow me. Warden sees this inmate, this convict on death row. The warden says, I got a word from the governor. He has pardoned you. Say that again. The governor has pardoned you. You are free to go. Would that make anybody happy? Would that make this guy happy? But the guy's guilty. He's guilty. And yet, the governor, for his reasons, has pardoned this inmate on death row. And so, in verse 14, God, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break the bands of in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Didn't deserve it, but God did it. And so that's the second time Israel's like in a bad personal situation, like a man locked up in prison on death row, and the Lord has seen fit for his reasons to pardon Israel and give them another chance. Okay, this is this is good. This is good. And so the cause is there, the desperation is there, and you want to think about alcoholic, the druggie, anybody who is in a desperate situation and to call for help, you might say, well, you got there because you did this and did this and did this and you're so bad. You deserve this. That could be always true, but still the Lord didn't the Lord didn't hold it against Israel, although he did chastise them, and they were chastised harshly. It's all their fault. God wasn't letting them off the hook, but the Lord still had mercy on them. And so be careful not to be so harsh and tough on people that are undeserving of mercy and grace and goodness. All right, look at verse number 17. The third picture that is painted here of Israel, verse number 17. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. That'll always be true. Eventually, they will be suffering for their bad choices. Verse 18. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. Now, notice again that the fool is in a situation that is very horrible, but it's all his fault. Yet, they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. Now, be careful about this. In Proverbs chapter 1, that same kind of fool gets into trouble, and the Lord does not deliver them. Hmm. If you read chapter 1 carefully, toward the end, the whirlwind comes, the desolation comes, and God says, I will laugh when your calamity cometh. I'll mock when your fear cometh. For you did not choose the fear of the Lord. So you got to be careful not to always think you can do what you please, and God will have mercy upon you. And thankfully, he can and often does. But sometimes, be careful, he will exercise Proverbs chapter 1 on a situation. All right, no, chapter um, uh, 107, verses 17 to 20. Uh, this is like a man now in another situation. 
this person's situation. He's afflicted in verse 17. Verse 18, this man's soul, their soul abhorreth all manner of meat. They draw near unto the gates of death. Okay, so this person is again facing death. This person is facing death and cannot, doesn't have an appetite. The soul abhorreth all manner of meat, all manner of food. He does not want to eat. He has no appetite. This person is also in a very serious, desperate situation. What does it call when someone is sick and they don't have an appetite? Having an appetite is a good sign. Not having an appetite is a bad sign. Something is wrong. Well, whatever this man's situation is like, he's on his deathbed and he cannot eat. He has an appetite. Maybe because in modern modern setting, he's full of drugs, medication, and he just cannot hold food down. What a horrible thing that you cannot eat food because it comes back up again. Sometimes you get a, a flu, you get a cold, and you, you're so hungry, but you can't hold anything down. You eat crackers and you, 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 know, you throw it up. What a horrible feeling. And then uh, you get the dry heat, and then you get the real uh, empty your stomach. It's just a horrible feeling. Plus, everybody knows about it too. The whole world hears it when you're gagging. <laughs> Especially in an apartment building. Oh, they're sick again. Ah, it's, it's a horrible feeling. This man cannot eat. He doesn't have an appetite. He's on his deathbed. And then in verse number 20, the cavalry comes. Mm -hmm. He sent his word and healed them. Now, the word heal is used because this man is sick. He is physically sick. And this man in this painting, in this image of Israel, he is sick physically. But the Lord sent his word and healed the sickness so that he is gone. So that the sickness is gone. It's a good thing that there's modern medicine. Because many times modern medicine can heal a sick person. And so I'm not the one that will criticize medicine. And criticize hospitals and say, yeah, they're after your money. Well, someone's got to get paid, and there's corruption everywhere. What's new? And yet, good medicine, good dentistry is a blessing to mankind. And so, this man's on his deathbed, like Israel was, and then after a while, God responds, He answers, delivers them from the destruction. Verse 20 and verse 21. Again, oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men, meaning deliverance. Deliverance, help. Kings. Look at verses 23 through 27. We have a fourth image of Israel embodied in one person. Verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. We're talking crossing the oceans, crossing the seas in ships. These see the works of the Lord and his wonderful wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. That's a big wave. And it can seem like it's mounting up to the heaven if you're in that ship. And go, they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro, verse 27. This is very, very distressing. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. That's more than just a program on the radio. They are at their wit's end. They have no way of helping themselves. They are out in deep sea at nighttime. They can't see anything but the twinkle, twinkle little stars, and they're tossed about like a cork in a washing machine, and they are stressed out. They are desperate. Professional sinners are scared to death. 
And they are at their wit's end. They're like a drunken man staggering around that boat, that ship. They gotta grab this and grab that, don't get tossed overboard. What a bad situation to be in. I don't know about you, but I hate being aboard a boat of any kind where I have no control. And when you're out in the sea, you have no control. You may have a, a boat with the motor, that'd be good. You do have some control, but sometimes you just don't have any control because the waves are so rough. And uh, this is a scene here. This man, this man is like a sailor in a storm. And Israel's like a sailor that's in a storm. And he's tossed about because of their backsliding. And so, um, this is the four, these are the four images that the Lord gives in this chapter, in this portion of the chapter, to get the reader to see what Israel was like as one person. There's no answers. There's no answers when the sailors call for help. They pray to their heathen gods, their idols, but they cannot help. And so the Lord answers their prayer though. Verse 28, he maketh the storm to calm. Verse 29, and then verse number 30, obviously, then are they glad, of course. Then are they glad because, whoo boy, that was a close call. That was a close call. Then they are glad because they are, they be quiet. They be quiet. The storm has quieted down. The waves are still. The waves are still. So that he bringeth them unto their desired haven. They get to the destination safely. Oh, verse 31. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, these sailors. Oh, that sailor. If you would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men, oh, if they would do that, they'd be better off. Well, hopefully they will. Mm -hmm. And so you have you have many people who are non-believers. Again, they would thank Mother Nature. They'll thank goodness. They'll thank heaven. They'll thank their lucky stars, but they won't thank God. Christians all know better. We will thank God for his goodness to us. Now, Thanksgiving is around the corner. And I think you can't thank God enough. You don't wait until Thanksgiving Eve to thank God. So I'm going to give you some things from the Proverbs and from the Psalms. Uh, about being thankful and this is a good chapter that helps us to remember to be thankful to God in the New Testament in the New Testament Romans 1 21 tells us this look at that Romans 1 21 not being thankful can be a real problem not being thankful it can be a real problem not being thankful can cause you a Christian to backslide not being thankful can cause you the unbeliever to think that it's all because of his own strength and ingenuity that something was prevented or something happened that was good. Both kinds of people should be careful to not think it's because of me. Romans 1.21, here's a verse that makes you think about that, how dangerous it can be not be thankful because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful so the pagans the heathens of the world one of the factors for their wickedness was they were not thankful for how god made them and then other factors of course caused them to be so violent so reprobate so being thankful would be a helpful thing to anybody it would keep him humble the christians that wanted to be thankful colossians 3 15 says this and let the peace of god rule in your hearts 
so that uh, to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful that's an admonition that's almost like an order be thankful be thankful be thankful and of course we always think there's nothing to be thankful for and that's what the flesh always thinks there's no what am i thank what should i be thankful now if you get a bonus oh thank you lord okay fine if your car doesn't have any trouble oh thank you god for keeping yes fine fine good good or uh, everybody likes you oh thank you lord uh, i am so well liked and nobody criticized me you know one of the most one of the most stressful things for anybody is that you have your peers think well think think not your peers mock you that's one of the most hurtful things for anyone at any level of life any stage of life to have a peer someone your age or around your age to talk about you behind your back that's one of the most hurtful things uh, and to have people say things that's not true about you and then when that happens you feel it and then you think well what am i thanking god for it says be thankful be thankful but why am i thankful for what they're talking about me what they're saying about me it's nothing to be thankful about so there's all kinds of situations in life where you say to yourself no i can't be thankful for that i can't be thankful for that i can't be thankful for that that's bad that's bad that's bad can't be thankful for that well i don't know i guess it's my faith you would say thank you lord for letting that happen thank you lord for letting you let let me go through this experience i have to be thankful because it says so and I'm supposed to see the peace of God. It's going to rule in my heart so if I'm thankful. I guess if I'm thankful, that means that I'm, I'm acknowledging I'm not in control of all these things. And therefore, I need to just trust God for these things that are happening out of my control. Which is like a difficult thing to do for most Christians. Still, it says, be thankful. And then finally tonight, Psalm 100 verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. Once again, that's like Psalm 107, verse number one. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Bless his name. All right, so I guess I'll end here, not with an I guess, but I will end here with telling you that whatever the circumstance, you have to, by faith, be thankful. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's after it happened, you see why something happened. Maybe you don't understand it, but you see after a while, oh, that's why that happened. Um, I just heard a story about a man who was trying to get it tonight and I wanted him to come because I want to hear more about his testimony. His testimony is uh, quite interesting. I asked him to send me an email so that I can keep in memory his testimony about his father. And um, his father's missionary in Mexico and he was afraid of being abducted and being killed. And so he needed a, a van. And so this, this man in Salt Lake City, Utah, was gonna sell a van to a, another, a buyer. It was agreed upon. He found his dad needed to get uh, a van. So he says to the new buyer, sorry, I'm gonna give my car if I can to my father, he needs it. I hate to, you know, Double cross you. The guy said, Oh, no, I understand, no problem. So he gave the van to his father in Mexico, but he had to come to Salt Lake City to pick up the van. Nobody knew that that was the last time he would see his father. Nobody knew that. He had written a prayer letter not long ago, or not long ago before that, to get in the van, that if you don't hear from me anymore, it may be because I was abducted or kidnapped. He says, 
Whatever you do, do not pay any ransoms if you're in America because that's what they're going to do. They'll keep milking you for ransom. He says, do not pay any ransom. He came to get the vehicle, spent three weeks with his son, this guy who's supposed to be here tonight, drove it back to Mexico, and he disappeared. And later on, after his father, uh, assumed was murdered, I think he was found to have been murdered. Uh, of course, there's a lot of grief. And later on, this man says, you know, God is good because he let me see my father for three solid weeks. Before that, I hardly saw him, but I saw him for three weeks. And so, get in the van, coming out next to get the van, was God's will have given us one more time together for three weeks. So sometimes it don't look so good, but then you realize later on, as you think it through, this was, this was good, even though it was hurtful. And you can apply that to many other circumstances as well. All right, so... Um, what does, what does the verse say four times in that one portion? Verses 4 to 32. Mm-hmm. Let's look at it one more time. Then we're done. Verse 8. All the men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the truth of men. Mm-hmm. Verse 15. Verse 21. And verse 31. Four times to emphasize that we should praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works. All right, Father, we thank you for this chapter. There's many more verses like this. instead in different ways, written in different ways throughout the Psalms. And so tonight we are thankful for the, the chapter and for what it does to our hearts. And help us, Father, to by faith be grateful, thankful, and to praise you for things that happen in our lives and in the lives of other people. We don't know everything, but we do look back at the scripture and we believe that things happen for reasons, for your purposes, and by faith we are going to thank you for what happens. Bless our services on Sunday. We pray that you would give us uh, people that come in that are looking for the word of God and wanting truth. We pray that you bless and help us to uh, anticipate your blessings to us in that way. And in other ways, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.